Paul, an apostle, sent not from men nor by a man, but by Jesus Christ and God the Father, who raised him from the dead, and all the brothers and sisters with him. To the churches in Galatia, grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, who gave himself for our sins to rescue us from the present evil age, according to the will of God our, our God and Father, to whom be glory for ever and ever. Amen. I am astonished that you are so quickly deserting the one who called you to live in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel, which is really no gospel at all. Evidently, some people are throwing you into confusion and trying to pervert the gospel of Christ. But even if we or an angel from heaven should preach a gospel other than the one we preach to you, let them be under God's curse. As we have already said, so now I say again, if anyone, anybody is preaching to you the gospel other than what you accepted, let them be under God's curse. Am I now trying to win the approval of human beings or of God? Or, or am I trying to please people? If I were still trying to please people, I would not be a servant of Christ. The word of God. Thank you, Dan. Thank you for being here. You know, I know it's a long weekend. Long weekends mean that people go and maybe they visit other churches and also people come from elsewhere to here. And so if you're visiting, um, it's great to have you. Um, we begin this series in Galatians. So, um, yeah, and uh, each week we'll genuinely uh, draw on the next week. This is a genuine introduction. So I might send an email out to people to make sure that they uh, can follow along for next week when everyone returns. Shall I pray? Let me do that. Father, you've liberated us from our sins. Uh, show us then the freedom that we have in Christ and guard it for Christ's sake. Amen. <clears throat> Lots of movies uh, start slowly. Long narration, setting the scene, character development, and then after a time, the inevitable conflict, which must be resolved, is introduced. These are the kinds of movies that win awards at the Cannes Film Festival. But there are other movies that start with the action. The bomb goes off in the city street, boom, within the first 30 seconds of the film, and the cops start scrambling. Next scene's in the uh, precinct, phones ringing everywhere. And, you know, presumably the viewer is hooked, and disorientated at the same time, just like the cops are in the film. Why did the bomb go off? Who's responsible? And how does this all get resolved? Some of Paul's letters start slowly. Galatians is not one of them. We begin a series in Paul's letter to the Galatians called Grace Amplified. And the bomb goes off six verses in, 30 seconds into the book. Dan just read it to us a moment ago. It's in chapter 1, verse 6. I can put something on the screen, can't I? Chapter 1, verse 6. I am astonished, writes Paul, gobsmacked, that you are so quickly, not slowly, so quickly deserting the one who called you to live in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel 
which is really no good news at all. And the reader, I hope, is then hooked in this moment and maybe a little bit disorientated and perhaps thirsting to know why'd the bomb go off? Who did it? What's it all about? And how will this all get resolved? Now the problem for us as modern readers of Galatians is that we can see the bomb go off, you can see verse 6, but you're not entirely clear what the bomb is, what the problem is that led Paul to be so urgent, so um, aggressive. Now we're jumping ahead, uh, and many of you know the story of Galatians already, but Paul will say to the Galatians, don't let yourselves be circumcised. Awkward. And in fact, if you let yourselves be circumcised, which is not appealing in any way, as I understand it, we're talking about men here, of course. If you let yourselves be circumcised, then Christ will be of no value to you. Now, besides the obvious, a little bit of pain and some healing, this hardly feels like a bomb going off. Uh, it feels just like uh, an ancient religious quibble, and maybe a modern one, but probably in Brooklyn somewhere, but nowhere near here. Circumcision was a Jewish peculiarity then, along with kosher food laws, and most of us aren't tempted by any of it. So it's like, what's the point? But we take a book like this book of Galatians, and it's a short one, and we say, even though it's not immediately relevant as you read it, we still believe there's truth or treasure within it. In fact, I'd go as far to say, you can't become a Christian or be a Christian without saying, I'm going to mine for treasure where it's not immediately obvious that there's treasure there. To open a Bible in the first place is to say, I'm going to try to find something of value in something that most of my peers, if they were handed it, would say, that's pretty meaningless to me. So during this series, we're going to have to do some work. We'll be guiding you through in bite-sized chunks, and it will unfold as the series goes on. This is just a, a, um, an introduction. Next week, you'll hear the word mirror reading. We'll be looking at this in our community groups, and we've produced, at the end of your pew, a, uh, uh, the whole book of Galatians in four pages to take home and write notes on. Bishop and scholar Tom Wright warns us, few, if any of us, or our congregations are tempted to get circumcised or start obeying the Jewish kosher laws. This, of course, is typical of the challenge of biblical hermeneutics. That is the way you interpret the Bible. You've got a mind for it. He says, but we must let the text be the text and understand it in its own terms rather than rushing in at once to application, to translating it so it somehow fits our situation or indeed our theological analysis, which I believe is what many people do with the book of Galatians. But do not be fooled, a bomb has gone off in verse 6, and for the reader we need to work out what it is. But I make you this promise, for those who watched the whole movie, beginning to end, who stay for the series, who do the work, who read themselves the whole book over and over and over, I promise you this little book <clears throat> will change your life, properly understood. It is a treasure. Why? 
Well, it's a book about the personal and global difference the Messiah makes in lives, ours, in communities like our own, and indeed in cities. You'll see that. God has done something in Jesus that is so profound, so new, so old, that nothing is the same, and you can't just tack him in to your otherwise good or religious life. It's a book about liberation, you'll see that, about freedom. It's a book about the call of God on your life. You're deserting the one who called you, in verse 6. Indeed, in the gospel reading that Dan just read out to us a moment, I have sheep that are not of this sheepfold, they're not the Israelites, they're Gentiles, and they hear my voice, my call. They recognize my voice. Galatians is about that. And it's about the work of the Spirit to quicken hearts and shape lives. In fact, I think Galatians is the book of the Spirit, actually. Um, I'll talk about that later. The book will even challenge you about who you invite over for dinner and who you speak to at church when you come in, in the door. It is about the grace of God. It is grace amplified. And it is about being part of a resistance movement because Paul's going to say to the Galatians, resist. Because grace must be fought for. All will conspire to get you to settle back into something else, something more comfortable, something more acceptable to your peers or to the powers that be. And so we're asking you, and Paul is, uh, God is asking you to join a resistance movement. Getting ahead, Paul will write, will write in Galatians chapter 2, verse 4, now this is about the bomb going off, he'll write, the matter arose because some false believers had infiltrated our ranks to spy on the freedom we have in Christ Jesus and to make us slaves. We'll see how during the series. But, here it is, we did not give in to them for a moment, that's resistance, so that the truth of the gospel might be preserved for you. We'll be inviting you to not give in for a moment. So, two points to introduce the book, two things to do out of these ten verses. One, embrace the true gospel, verses one to five, and two, reject the no gospels at all in verses six through ten, and I'll be working our way through ten verses. Firstly, embrace the true gospel. So, Paul opens the letter by saying, who's writing it? He's writing it, chapter one, verse one, which you can see in your Bibles or in uh, the seat at the end under, under those Bibles. Paul writes in 1 verse 1, Paul, an apostle, sent not from men nor by a man, but by Jesus Christ and God the Father who raised him from the dead to all the brothers and sisters, all the family who are with me, to the churches in Galatia. It's in modern Turkey. Now right there in verse 1, we're censoring a problem, a conflict, some think that Paul is not legitimate, that he's delivering fake news. So he says in 1 verse 1, Paul, an apostle, sent not from men, nor by a man. You'd only say that if some people had accused him or were saying that he wasn't sent by Jesus Christ, that he was somehow fraud, a fake. That's important to keep in mind for the next two weeks. But Paul is saying in the very first verse, I am... Legit, Jesus Christ, risen from the dead, God the Father who raised him, sent me. 
He wrote in verse 2 to the churches in Galatia, which is most likely in South Galatia. Scholars argue about this for a reason. Uh, It's recorded, I believe, in Acts chapters 13 and 14. That's when he first visits these churches in southern Galatia, modern Turkey. Notice it's about 600 kilometres inland from Gallipoli since tomorrow is Anzac Day. Thought we'd put some context there for you. Now, scholars argue about why it's important that it's south Galatia, uh, but one of the reasons is it dates the letter early. 49 AD, perhaps his earliest letter, that's less than two decades after the resurrection of Jesus, which itself is amazing. But it's also important that it's South Galatia because the towns of South Galatia, unlike North Galatia, were profoundly Roman. Now stay with me here. These South Galatian towns required their citizens to worship the Roman cult, the emperor, to say that Caesar was Lord. But the Romans had problems with the Jewish people who just weren't going to bow down, weren't going to visit the temple. Jewish people were stubborn in that way, after all, the Ten Commandments. And so they had exemptions for Jewish people for nobody else. But you had to be a card-carrying Jew with all the marks. But when the gospel of grace came through, non-Jewish people became followers of Jesus Christ, but they didn't look like Jews, they didn't act like Jews, but they also wouldn't go to the Roman temple to worship and say that Caesar is Lord because they believed that Jesus was now Lord. And they began, so it, said, so it is claimed, they began to claim the exemption that belonged to Jewish people, which was perhaps very destabilizing for the Romans, who were like, who's this group who don't have to turn up to the temple? That's destabilizing. Destabilizing for the Jewish Christians, what happens if the Romans come after us? And very destabilizing for the Jewish non-Christians who are thinking, is our religion being mishandled? undercut. The disciplines that are inherent in in Judaism are are not being followed. And here's a group claiming abjections that only belong to Jews. As Bishop Tom Wright says, Caesar was breathing down their necks in South Galatia. So the question will be asked, what should we do with these people? Should we get them to look Jewish? And after all, the scriptures say so. Let's get them circumcised and maybe keep the food laws. Now, I want you to park all of that come up during the series. We'll come back to that. But in chapter 1, verses 3 to 5, Paul greets the churches with some gospel essentials. It's a mere three verses, but it's so important. Look at chapter 1, verse 3. Paul writes, grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ, verse 4, who gave himself for our sins, like the good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. He did this to rescue us from the present evil age, according to the will of God our Father, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. Now, grace and peace are an ancient two-dimensional way of greeting, and I've got friends who finish their emails just by saying grace and peace. If I can put it this way, it's a two-dimensional way of greeting, but Paul gives it a third dimension in Jesus Christ, or depth. God's grace in Christ reaches out and brings peace to his followers, not just a greeting. And Paul will end the book in the same way, with the same three dimensions. This grace and peace comes through Jesus Christ, who we are told, gave himself 
for our sins. He died on a cross. He fought naked on a Roman cross to rescue us from the present evil age, to rescue us. Now, it all sounds like a new exodus. That will also be important. Jesus Christ is God's outstretched arm liberating his people. That's why he says you were rescued, you were saved from the present evil age, not from Egypt. And so, according to Paul, the world has changed because God has done something different. God willed it and it's for his glory. Now, those three verses begin to get at the one true gospel, which is from God and not from any human being. And notice, here's the key, it doesn't involve Jewish Torah. And so it's a message that can be embraced all over the world and not just in Jewish communities. Look at verses 3 to 5 and tell me those three verses aren't just simply what we sang a moment ago. I mean, I noticed. Did you notice? It's just what we sang. And yet here we are, almost all Gentiles, I presume. I'm going to say all Gentiles, unless you nominate yourself later. I'd love to hear it from you. So Paul had a message for non-Jews like us. He had a gospel, good news, which is you just have to trust Jesus and live in his grace. And you'll be, right, you'll be right with God, fully a part of the people of God without all the old markers. And of course, with that gospel, the spirit, and with the spirit, the power to shape a life, Paul will call this work the fruit of the spirit in your life. It's a transformational change. And because of this, the gospel traversed the world, as you can imagine, right here to us today. Uh, a little while ago, I was at a wedding reception, and, uh, <clears throat> you know, and hors d'oeuvres came around. Is it hors d'oeuvres or hors d'oeuvres? Thank you. An hors d'oeuvre came around, and the hors d'oeuvre was a prawn wrapped in bacon. And I ate it. And you might say, well, congratulations, big deal. Was it tasty? Why, yes, thank you for asking. Very tasty. Why do I say that? Because here's the thing to know. If you were living in the first century, that prawn wrapped in pig is a rabbi's nightmare. But here I am, a Gentile follower of the Jewish Messiah, and I am free. And I thank God I'm free because I like my cheese and bacon burgers. But it's much more than that. It's got depth. Christ gave himself for me to rescue me from the present evil age. He forgave me without me having to subscribe to what Paul calls works of the law. Now, Paul's primary concern in South Galatia is that they embrace the gospel and indeed fight for it, and I'm asking you to do the same through the series. Because there is pressure then and pressure now to give it up in the simplest of ways and even for understandable reasons. Like, for example, the Romans will be nicer to us. Less chance for persecution. And what about the Bible says so? And uh, head office will be happier. But here is the gospel. Grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ who gave himself for our sins to rescue us from the present evil age. Grace is the key. Living in grace is the key. Grace is everything, and to distort that gospel is to, breathe, is to breathe carbon monoxide instead of oxygen. It is to drink sewerage instead of spring water. It is to be enslaved all over again, Paul will say. In fact, so clear is Paul, Paul on this that he says, 
indicating the presenting problem, he'll say, as for those agitators, the hired hands, the ones who came after, I wish they would go the whole way and emasculate themselves. Ouch. Classic Paul. One, embrace the gospel. Two, reject the no gospels at all. Now, remember the bomb going off? Let's spend some time in 6 to 10. He says, I'm astonished, flabbergasted, gobsmacked, I can't believe it, that you are so quickly, not slowly, deserting God who called you to live in the grace of Christ. What a high calling, what a beautiful gift. You heard his voice, right? He called you. And you are turning to a different gospel, which is really no gospel at all. And yet, really, you're deserting God himself, the one who called you. Not just a theological idea, which is the way Galatians is often framed, by the way. Um, you've got to get the right theology, the right thinking. But that's not what's going on here. You're deserting God himself. Why would you do that? Paul here is so passionate, so angry, so like a parent saying, get out of the way. That I wouldn't be the first, and in fact, in the early centuries... They compared Paul to Moses coming down from the mountain in Exodus. This is Rembrandt, by the way. Moses led the people of Israel to freedom from Egypt. But within seconds, they're turning back and worshipping golden calves. Moses comes down the mountain and, and is astounded. Paul here sounds like Moses, liberated not from Egypt, from our sins, present evil age, and he's astounded at the speed with, with which the Galatians were ditching God for idols. In fact, if the South Galatian theory is correct, we're talking about one year between Paul coming through and them uh, deserting the one who called them. Now, we'll learn through the series, you and I could be tempted to do the same. But it's not good news. It's not from God. It is, in fact, no gospel at all. Now, as I said, this is going to require a bit of work, which is why we've produced the whole book letter for you. Take it home and ask yourself as you read through it. It should take you about 20 minutes, maybe half an hour if you read it slowly. Ask yourself as you go through with a highlighter and comments and questions, what is the problem? What is the other gospel that is no gospel? Who are the agitators, the hired hands? And how do they apply pressure? That's going to be important, by the way, because how people apply pressure is key for resisting. Now, we're going to take our time unpacking all of this. It's not going to come in one talk. But I hope, my hope is it's more carefully thought through than other series on Galatians that you've heard. I don't know if you've, you know, it's always like Paul is saying, it's not what you do, what matters, it's what Jesus has done for you. And you're like, Actually, it's much, much, much more than that. Okay. But a couple of things. Lest you think this is unimportant, Paul ramps up the stakes in verse 8. He says, even if we or even an angel from heaven should preach a gospel other than the one we preach to you, let them be under God's curse. We could come to you, an angel could visit you, but change this gospel, anathema, Paul will say. Perhaps he means banished. Do you think I'm not legit? They're not legit, the ones who are coming in with this different gospel. And in verse 9, as we have already said, like the previous verse, and so now I say again, if anybody is preaching to you a gospel other than the one you accepted, let them be under God's curse. It's that serious. 
So whoever these agitators are coming in after Jesus, the Good Shepherd, well, they think they're enhancing the message a little bit, making it a little bit more biblical. Believe in Jesus, but also do what the Bible says, become a little bit more Jewish. But they're not enhancing the message, they are destroying it. Paul will say there's no gospel at all. So it's important. And it's so important that the ramifications for resistance are huge. Because they resisted then, you believe today as a non-Jew and can chow down on your prawn and bacon hors d'oeuvre. And it's huge for mission for their followers of Jesus, of course, in Africa, Asia. Millions and millions and millions and millions in China. More Christians in China than there are in America. Europe, West and East. The islands and the ends of the earth, which is Australia or New Zealand. Verse 10. Am I trying to win approval of human beings or of God? Or am I trying to please people? If I were trying to please people, I would not be a servant of Christ. Paul is probably saying here, you think I'm trying to cut corners. I'm not trying to cut corners. I'm not a people pleaser, which back then in its historical context meant a person trying to curry favour with the world by relaxing the religious rules. And Paul says, that's your accusation. It's wrong and it's not me. I'm not arguing for a relaxing of the rules. I'm asking for a holding of the truth. For the gospel. Christ died, after all. So whatever else you're sort of feeling your way forward with this book, Paul is arguing here for a resistance movement to conserve a kind of freedom, to not go back to slavery, the best and only freedom, and we invite you to join the resistance movement. Lest you think there'll be no pressure. There will be pressure. There is pressure. Listen to Paul. You foolish Galatians. He writes, who has bewitched you? Now listen to that language. It's like someone came to you, Galatians, and they did this Jedi mind trick on you. The gospel of grace is, is not the gospel you're looking for. Circumcise your, your boys. And you believe them, you foolish Galatians. Well, how about this one in uh, 507? You were running a good race. Who cut in on you? to keep you from obeying the truth. To cut in on somebody is to genuinely, I mean, you've got to do, who did that? Why? And here in our verse, in verse 7, evidently some people are throwing you into confusion and are trying to pervert the gospel of Christ. Such strong language. There will be pressure. We'll come to that during the series. Unless you think the gospel is a gospel of ease, like a relaxing of the rules. Am I a people pleaser? Says Paul, no, I'm not. In fact, I suffer in my body. You might think, well, grace frees you from, you know, two, four, three quarters of the Bible. It doesn't, by the way. It does in a way, but not in another way. You might say grace frees me from Jewish Torah, but it's not a get out of jail free card. Things are easier now. Grace comes with obligations to obey God. We've been making that case all year. It is, after all, transforming grace. 
So there'll be a refrain in Paul, twice in Galatians and once in 1 Corinthians, where Paul will say, for in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision has any value. So this is not about Jewish law. The only thing that counts is faith exercising or expressing itself through love. And that will be hard and challenging. Paul makes it so personal when he says this. Perhaps my favourite verse in the Bible. I just gave you a glimpse into my soul. Paul says, I have been crucified with Christ. They put me on the cross with him. I'm dead now. It's no longer I who live. You know, I thought, um, you know, actually I'm an, a pretty good person and becoming a Christian made me a slightly better one. So I tacked him on. That's what Paul says. Paul says, I've been immersed into Christ, taken to the tomb with him, crucified with Christ, and it's no longer I who live. That's important to say in a selfie world. But rather, Christ lives in me, animates me by his spirit. So he writes, the life I now live in the flesh or in the body... Right, the one I currently live in the real world. I live by faith in the Son of God, or I live by the faithfulness of the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. Taking us back to chapter 1, verse 3. How about that? But the drive to keep grace at the center must be relentless. Everything conspires against us. The city conspires against us. We live in a culture stripped of grace. Our hearts conspire against us. It's easy to want to feel superior to others, and that's what this is all about. And maybe even to feel safe in a world where there's potential uh, uh, persecution. But Paul says, embrace the gospel, reject other gospels. Hold to the true one, grace to sinners like me, in a transforming way. That is to live in the grace of Christ. It is our life's battle. And it's not a walk in the park, we're going to see. Um, Paul says, I bear in my marks the body, bear in my body the marks of Christ. Um, so hard is it to maintain grace and not just give in to the world around you. And the reason it's not a walk in the park is that the freedom that you experience was one of the cost, Christ's life, and you follow him. Author and theologian and poet, really, Eugene Peterson, makes this clear in his work on Galatians. He says that the freedom that was won for you wasn't easy. It's about Jesus rescuing us. And he writes with characteristic flourish. He writes... There is a freedom possible, but it is not natural. Don't think for a second that because you're human or Australian or decent, that somehow it's natural that God should love you and embrace you and allow you to be a part of his kingdom. It is possible, but it is not natural. This freedom is a victorious prize in a pitched battle. Christ had to go to the cross for it. He says, now, you know, some people love Peterson. I'm one of them. Our freedom, he writes, to live does not come out of a quiet Sunday afternoon in meadows fragrant with rows of Easter lilies, but rather out of dark, traumatic agonies marked by Lucifer's plunge from the heights of war in heaven, Peterson loves Revelation, cries for crucifixion, crucify him, 
and the dreadful scream of Jesus, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. The story of freedom, he goes on, is like that of the earth's crust. There's here and there, under the quiet, mild calm, are exposed cross-sections that tell of volcanic eruptions and devastating earthquakes and droughts and floods. The present free moment that you and I have is not the natural accumulation of goodness, but rather a paragraph in a story, the gospel, a paragraph in a history of conflict. It's talking about sin here, comprising of alienation, reconciliation, war and peace. The verbs of freedom, he writes, are raise and rescue, and God is the subject of each of them. I was raised, I was rescued. This is the Eugene Peterson way of saying this. Grace and peace to you, from God our Father, and the Lord Jesus Christ, who gave himself for our sins to rescue us from the present evil age, according to the will of God our Father, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. There's plenty more to learn in the weeks to come, but for now, take it home and get reading it. Let's pray. Father, it will be easy for us to take advantage, take, for, take advantage of the fact that Christ came, that we have a Bible in our hands, that we are loved, that freedom is possible and forgiveness available. But help us not for a moment to take it for advantage such that when pressure is exerted for us to conform in with the world around us and to do something that might feel understandable even in the moment, perhaps even for the sake of safety, help us not for a moment to give in. Help us rather to join the resistance movement fighting for grace as Jesus himself fought for us when he went to the cross died for our sins to rescue us from the present evil age. We delight in him and in this gospel. May this gospel transform our lives as we live in the grace that comes from Jesus Christ our Lord, in whose name we pray. Amen.